Welcome to the Innovation Meets Leadership Podcast. Real inspiration for real innovators. If you're looking for innovation and leadership transformation, your journey starts now. Welcome to the Innovation Meets Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Bourne. Hey, did you know my new book is out, Set It on Fire, The Art of Innovation? Head over to setitonfire.co to learn more. Well, my guest today is Ian Bergman, and Ian is a partner at Alchemist Accelerator, and he's also the head of Alchemist X. And I actually just had the opportunity to be on his podcast platform. We're going to throw that into the show notes, because after you check out this episode, I want you to head over there and check out my episode with Ian. Ian, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, absolutely. I am so glad to be here, Natalie. Well, I would love for you just to take some significant time and kind of break down your background for us. When I read your bio, I was like, I need Ian to share his background. I, I don't think I can do it justice. So I want to, I just want to dig in right there and start there. Sure. The, the, the talk about yourself segment. Uh, <laughs> Everyone loves the, it, right? <laughs> exactly. Always a little awkward, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to, because, you know, we're on this, this conversation of innovation and maybe corporate innovation. And I think one of the most interesting things is so many people in this space have a very non-obvious path, Yeah. right? To get to caring about this thing we call innovation. And I think my path was very non-obvious. Uh, I've always been a technologist, you know, I like broke my parents' computer networks when I was a kid and rapidly tried to fix it. I was trying to play Wolfenstein 3D for what it's worth. But, you know, I went and I got a politics degree and I thought I was going to do journalism. And then all of a sudden I ended up working in tech my whole life. So, you know, how did I get here? I think there's a, a couple things. I was never taught what innovation was ever. And, and I think that's actually a good thing. Instead, I kind of kept finding myself in these situations where I was trying to solve hard problems. So if we, if we look at my career, after I graduated from university, from undergrad, I was working in IT and I, I partnered with a friend to launch a journalism startup that's still around. It's a web journalism startup, rawstory.com. It's done great work on kind of left-leaning political journalism. I can take absolutely no credit for its long-term success because I only stuck around for a year because you know what I realized? Building and driving change is a lot of fun, but doing it as a startup founder was not my path. That is hard because you carry the weight of the world on your right. shoulders, right? And I said, I want to build technology. I want to build products and services that impact large numbers of people. But for me, it felt maybe it was safer at the time, uh, which is a weird thing to say, but maybe it was just more resourced or whatever it was, I wanted to do it kind of with a group. And so long story short, I navigated my way through grad school and I ended up at Microsoft. Now in the early 2000s, Microsoft was not what you would call an innovative organization. <laughs> uh, it has changed a little, we'll talk about that. But I ended up at this company where I was like, I'm gonna be building products and services and they're gonna touch millions and billions of people. And Oh, what happened? I was like sitting deep in the bowels of some building in Redmond, like never seeing windows or the light of day working on like Excel models for capacity planning and demand marketing around the world. I'm like, what am I doing? Right? Mm -hmm. Here's the thing. It turns out that for any organization, the good times end 
pressure is exerted yeah. for most organizations this is constant but you know in any case pressure will start to exert itself and you have to make decisions and so i had the fortune to join the windows team right at the time that ipad was coming out windows 8 was getting built and the computing market as anybody understood it was getting shaken up and not the XP time. Well, just to be clear, you you did not join Windows 8. XP. <laughs> I joined halfway through the development of Windows 8. And for those of us in the PC world, it doesn't matter what your opinion is, you have an opinion on that product. <laughs> and so, you know, what what was interesting for me, I, I joined into the organization that was working with outside partners. It was working with the system manufacturers, the PC OEMs, the Dell's HPs of the world, the silicon providers, like you name it, all the people that actually create a computer that somebody buys. Mm -hmm. And what I realized, it took me a while to realize this, but what I realized is that, well, there was a deep vision for the software that was going to be built and it was risky and it was experimental and it was new and it was different. And in many ways it was brilliant. What was missing was this whole question around how are customers going to use and buy, buy and use this bloody thing, mm. right? Like what is the customer centric vision that encompasses the hardware, the software, all the pieces to actually create a product? Unfortunately it was missing. And I think that led to a lot of the challenges that we had. Anyway, I complained about this a bunch. And when you complain enough, eventually someone gives you responsibility. And I ended up leading a hardware planning team that was designed to kind of provide some vision for how all this would come together in hardwares. And I learned a lot because working on hardware planning, you're working on a multi-year roadmap, you're making decisions that have a lot of latency. It takes, you know, once you make a decision, you allocate capital, it's years later that the actual results come out. And you have to make some bets and we made some big bets some of them that weren't turned out turned out really well like the importance of touch on touch screens and building mm -hmm. supply chain and some of them that didn't like dual screen and secondary screen devices and having screens all around us and the ones that didn't turns out it's because we didn't have the listening mechanism with customers mm. okay so you asked me to go on i'm going yeah. on but the reason i mention this is because my next role was working with startups and I was working with startups from within inside Microsoft, which is this huge organization. And we had this really interesting thesis. Hey, startups are building cool innovation. Hey, enterprises who are Microsoft customers need innovation or they're going to go out of business, which is kind of true. Boy, we can make them meet. And it is so incredibly hard to make them meet in an oh. effective way. It is so incredibly hard for them to speak the same language and it's so incredibly hard for, for these large enterprises to put on this customer-centric mindset of there's a pain point that my people, my customers, my, my partners have, you know, this kind of risky but cool new piece of technology or innovation can help solve it, I'm gonna integrate it, that I was like, oh man, this is a world I wanna live in. So. When I left Microsoft, I joined Alchemist Accelerator. We work with early stage technology companies building incredible new technology for the enterprise that's gonna be sold into organizations around the world. We work with hundreds of startups a year and I get to live and swim in this world of like the fire hose of innovation coming up on startups on one side and the pain points of large corporations and the challenges and the 
success and the joy they have when they achieve success, incorporating that innovation to stay competitive. And it's super fun. Yeah. So let's, I want to talk about the, some of the things you said in your kind of your tenure at Microsoft, you kind of talked about this idea of you were partnering in some places, you were building in some places, and then you were just, you know, outright buying in some places. For those who are, you know, kind of thinking about that build by partner pattern, can you unpack a little bit about just some of the principles that need to be in place, especially around innovation, when we're trying to figure out what's the right fit for us as an organization? Oh, yeah. I, I think this is such a fun question. So if you're a, a leader or even just an agitator within a large company and you're like, I want to change something, how to affect that change is such a core question. And so I think the, the, do, you know, you know, you know what I mean when I say the not built here mentality? Yes. hundred yeah. percent. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So I'm going to, I'll, I'll use the Microsoft example, but I think this works everywhere, right? So many organizations, when even if you build the case, you're like, all right, I want to, I want to do something new. I want to build something. So many organizations are like, we should do it ourselves. Yeah. Right. And it's because they have this mentality where if we didn't, it's either riskier or maybe we're just not getting credit for it, mm-hmm. et cetera. Um, and I think that is actually so very dangerous. So I'll tell you a story from, from my time at Microsoft. I'm speaking a little out of school here because this wasn't my team. It was an adjacent one, but I'll give a simple example of what I mean. You know, Microsoft is an organization that builds software, right? Okay, great. Like they're, they're quite good at it. But that doesn't mean that they need to build every piece of software. And so, you know, you know, everybody in your audience, I'm sure, remembers, well, okay, the ones that are as old as I am probably remember when swipe keyboards came out on the phone, right? Yeah. In, instead of the, the touch typing. Mm-hmm. Cool technology. Many people like it. It's a quick way to kind of work through a, a touchscreen keyboard. Well, Microsoft was looking at this and was like, we actually have to have that. Like we have to be able to do something like that. That forces such an interesting question, like build by partner, mm-hmm. right? And let me tell you what Microsoft did. Instead of taking a million and a half bucks and buying a startup that had this technology and saying done with it. Well, Microsoft said, we have a keyboard team. Like, of course the keyboard team should figure it out, right? Like, <laughs> and Microsoft built an inferior product because you know what? They had less resources assigned to it right. than that startup that they could have bought off the shelf for a million bucks. They had, I mean, I, I'm making this up. I don't actually know the resources, but honestly, it's probably like a PM, half of a PM's time and an engineer and an intern. And they built an inferior product. Why do that? Because there's a not built here mentality. And Microsoft has mm-hmm. made enormous strides. Like Microsoft has actually become an organization that is extraordinarily good at this point at incorporating outside innovation. But I find this as an illustrative example because companies around the world, I think, really struggle in accessing innovation that is outside of their core competency from out mm-hmm. from the outside world. For many, many reasons, but of course they should. None of us can keep up with the change in the world. Right. And they, well, can a food me, web company do AI? Like, no. <laughs> well, let me insert, insert a question here that most people should be asking that they probably don't. How do you know that you're not the right skill set to do something? Because 
like you said, they had a keyboard team. Why wouldn't we kick that to the keyboard team? At what point do we realize, you know what, that's the wrong decision? That That's really, I think, the crux of the issue is how do you know you're in too deep? Yeah. You know, I, I'm going to flip this back. I wonder if you have an answer. I don't actually have an answer. The thing that I tell folks that I'm working with when we're working with large enterprises is to ask the question. Yeah. Like first, just stop and ask the question, right? And and sometimes it's as simple as that because that mm -hmm. asking the question forces yourself to do a little bit of kind of a, a cost analysis. Right. And I think to recognize something that I think is very common. Yeah. If we are going to do this ourselves, do we have the right? Like this is just a question. Like, do we have the native right to do it well? Mm. And are we going to resource it and put it in an environment where this can get done well? And generally you can kind of, I think you can actually, you, you don't have to put a lot of science around that question. I think you can kind of get to the answer pretty quickly. And if you have any concerns about it, we'll go look and see if somebody else is doing it. They might not be, but if they right. are, great. So one of the people I had on our podcast is someone I used to work with at Career Builder way back in the day. Her name was Nagini Indugula. And her and I worked on a team together and at Career Builder at the time, years and years ago, we tried to create a social media product. And we got somewhat far with that product, but eventually realized that we were building something no one wanted, or maybe it was too early stage in the market. Sure. It's one of those things where sometimes we're in self-denial. I mean, I think if we dig deep yeah. and really ask the question, like, should we do this? I think like the answer might always be staring us in the face. But then there's there's something in us, I think, as inventors, right, that feel like we need to push the boundaries in places that we have no capability, no skill set, no knowledge, no understanding versus things that are naturally within our wheelhouse. And there's a natural economy of scale for us to build it. I think we get we're getting into we're leaning into a little bit of just over indexing on our competencies, thinking our competencies are higher than they are. I mean, I really think that is what it is boils down to you know I, I i do too and i think there's something very human in that right because you have to have a certain level of humility to let go but you also have to have a certain amount of trust and 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 comfort in those around you right that you'll be rewarded for letting go but there's something so so rachel chalmers a wonderful colleague of mine over the years there's something she says that i really like which is an innovator has to fall in love with the problem not the solution mm. and if you force yourself to fall in love with the problem and to deeply understand it to understand the pain why it matters who's impacted that is a huge value add and then you have a lot of white space to find what is the right solution. And I think for any of us who are thinking of ourselves as innovators in an organization, I would suggest fall in love with the problem, yeah. know it, breathe it, understand its relevance to the customers. And then you can look at your option set for the solutions. Yeah, you're you're triggering something that most people don't do. And that's look at the option set. I think it's I think it's this idea that like, I'm just gonna build it. So I looked at the problem, see there is a problem, and now I'm going to go build versus saying, well, is that the right approach? There's a slowing down in that too, that, that it takes to, to really ask some hard questions. And I think you're right. Like there's no, 
right or wrong answer that just immediately emerges on the surface, but through a, a, um, a series of questions, right, we can go closer to the knowledge that needs to be surfaced on that by asking, which a lot of people don't do. We just start building. We just start building. Go fast by going slow sometimes, mm -hmm. right? It's, it, it, yeah, uh, uh, it, we just start building. Uh, yeah. We've all been there. Um, it's what hu It's what humans do. It's definitely what engineers do who are often the ones that are, you know, tasked with solving these problems. Yeah. But go fast by going slow. I, I think there's something so important about what you said. So let's talk about blockers inside an organization. So oftentimes, you know, people are like, okay, yeah, let's take the time to really look at the lay of the land. But then sometimes what they hit as a as just a hardcore wall is kind of the the political nature of navigating an organization when trying to figure out some of these things. So let's take a moment in terms of innovation and lean into what are some of the blockers when we do have an instinct that we need to slow down, ask some hard questions. Should we build? Should we partner? Should we buy? What are some of the ways you can navigate that those, those treacherous waters within an organization? Yeah. Thanks for the question. It's such a good one. It's, it's, it's one that I have so much passion around and so few definitive answers, right? But like, but, but it's, so look, one, when you get to the point of thinking about blockers in an organization, I actually like, I would encourage anybody to pat themselves on the back for getting that far because you've made, you, you've decided you want to be a champion, a sponsor, an advocate for change and action, right? Blockers don't matter if you're not taking action and you don't do innovation without action. So, you know, first pause and say, good job, me. And now we look at things like, okay, what are some of the blockers that I hear from companies? I, I just got back from corporate innovation leaders workshop that we run with a bunch of international enterprises. And it's incredible how consistent the, the feedback is about the, the, the hurdles to change, right? Culture, there's a bunch of aspects of culture, but are lessons rewarded, right? Is risk-taking and, and learning lessons rewarded or is failure punished, right? There's a bunch of aspects to culture. You get organizations like, like procurement and compliance organizations, which a lot of people feel are real hurdles to, to innovation, especially if that innovation requires working with third parties, because what are these? These are risk-protecting organizations, right? They're designed for efficiency at what we do. They're not designed for something new. You get things like time horizons, right? Innovation, often real change and real ROI often takes longer to realize than an organization can measure. Yeah. And you get misaligned incentives. One thing though, and what we can talk about any of these, but one thing though that I also think people overlook a lot, and I have overlooked a lot at in moments in my career, is the importance of stakeholder management, mm -hmm. right? Because all of these challenges can be overcome if you build the champions, if you identify the other people who are going to become heroes because of the work that you're doing, if you identify your dependencies. This is a, for me, this is a piece of the go fast by going slow. Pause. Mm -hmm. Think about who's in, involved. Think about not just what their job is and what they're paid for, but who they are as people. How do you, how do you activate their ego? How do you, you know, get them on side? These are, these are challenges that I think people underinvest in, but are necessary for driving change in an organization. So we can talk about any of those, but the stakeholder one's a big one that comes up all the time. 
Yeah, I want to, I want to, in our kind of our last piece of the segment, I want to hover there for a second because I feel like what you're leaning into is stakeholder management. You actually have to have, it's a word you said earlier, you have to have a little bit of humility because no doubt they're probably going to end up getting some credit for whatever idea you've brought to the table. However, your idea may not see the light of day without taking the time to to bring stakeholders along for the journey. So let's talk about that a little bit because I think most people have a fear of if I, you know, get too many people involved, my voice is now watered down and out of the way. Maybe someone else takes my idea and runs with it. And now I'm not even a part of like, there's all these fears I think that come up in people when you say stakeholder management, bring people along yeah. for the journey. It instantly people get kind of catty. <laughs> well, they, they do. And, and look like to be fair, sometimes with, with good reason, right? We all know the challenges that that folks have getting appropriate career progression when they don't speak out for themselves, right? And there's there's gender dynamics, there's all kinds of things that happen there. So so you know, that fear is well founded, but here's what I would say. Nobody does anything in this world on their own. That's right. Right? Uh boy, I I will just start arguing with libertarians, right? Like <laughs> You're, you're building on someone else's roads. You're working with other people. You can't get things done on your own. So the question becomes, what are some specific concrete things that you can do mm -hmm. to be deliberate about getting other people to help you be successful? And yes, sometimes that is sharing credit. So we have a few things that we recommend, right? The idea of building yourself, you know, an innovation governance board with big capital letters is really important. It doesn't even, it doesn't have to be formal though. It might literally be the three people that you just have said, I want to come talk to you about what I'm doing every three weeks. Um, or it might be more formal, but build a, a group of people with whom you can test your ideas and that you look to as sort of authority figures and even better if they actually have budget and authority. But also, when you are creating champions in other people, if you're working on an innovation that, I don't know, makes that, that, that makes a marketing executive do better against their goals, when you make them the hero, when you tell the organization about how incredible this executive is, you're the one telling them. <laughs> that credit reflects back on you. And then you can go to others and just be like, here's how I can help you. So. Yeah. You know, I really do believe in creating champions by making other people look great. Most people will pay it forward. I do believe in a governance committee board of some level of formality or informality. And I do believe in the importance of providing updates. Secrecy serves no one. Like walls, tents, internal secrecy. People get so hung up on confidentiality on anything, mm -hmm. but much less innovation. Confidentiality is worthless 95% of the time, right? Tell people what you're doing and that's how you get credit. Yeah. Wow. Tell people what you're doing and that's how you get credit. Ian, it has been awesome just to talk to you and hear a little bit about your background, your journey. And as I said, check us out on Ian's podcast as well. It'll be in the show notes. And yeah, thanks again, Ian, for, for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. These conversations are super fun. I think innovators, we're all in this together. There's a lot of people looking to drive change. I'm super, super glad to be able to have this conversation with you and your audience. Awesome. Hey, Ian, where can people find and follow you? 
Yeah, thanks for asking. So check out LinkedIn is probably the best place. Ian Bergman, Alchemist Accelerator is just alchemistaccelerator.com to see what we're doing organizationally. And we'd love to see you on the socials. Awesome. Well, thanks again for your time today. And to our listeners, thank you for joining the Innovation Meets Leadership podcast. Remember, don't just get out of the box, break the box and set it on fire. Let's go transform something. Thank you for joining us for the Innovation Meets Leadership podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Innovation Meets Leadership and visit our site at innovationmeetsleadership.com for more innovation resources. Hey, my new book is out, Set It on Fire, The Art of Innovation. Click on the link to learn more. And don't just get out of the box, break the box and set it on fire. Let's go transform something.